Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So lucky enough to be joined by Scott Mutrin. You know him, former Boston College quarterback, mid-90s, now working for the Learfield Boston College Radio Network. He's nice enough to join us as we preview Boston College going to the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, where they will play the SMU Mustangs. First, I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, you need to join the BC Football Gridiron Club. That's bcfootballgridiron.com for more details. Pre-game parties, post-game, you name it, whatever. If you're a Boston College football fan, every home and away game, a big, big group throughout the season. That's bcfootballgridiron.com for more details. Okay, with that, we bring in Scott Mutrin. Scott, how have you been? And uh, your general thoughts on Boston College playing SMU in the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Uh, very, you know, very excited. Anytime they get a chance to play another game, you gotta, you got to relish it. Uh, that last time that your team's going to be together, playing together, knowing that you have that finality one last time is always something pretty special. Um, no team's ever the same, you know, as guys come and go. But that one last chance to, to celebrate and, and play with the guys, and I, I think that that's something that you'll always remember to get the bowl gear to, rem- to remind yourself of it as well. So uh, it's it, it's always a great time. It's going to be a unique challenge. SMU is a you know, talented team, 11-2 in the air, 8-0 in their conference. They did lose their starting quarterback through for over 3,700 yards, but they're potent offense, averaging over 40 points a game to make a lot of plays. It's going to be a unique challenge for Boston Cubs. You know, the, the whole season, imagine they're going to kind of follow the recipe they did uh, in their winning streak where they're going to run the football, use that offensive line to establish time of possession, and hopefully they're able to make some explosive plays in the passing game and really shorten the game so that SMU's got to chase them a little bit and, and then wear them down as the game goes on. You know, it was interesting, too. SMU was very close to uh, going to the Fiesta Bowl. They lose that slot, and they drop to the Fenway Bowl. So it's kind of like a, you know, I, I can't imagine they're awfully thrilled to be going to Fenway playing, you know, this bowl game. Uh, just your general thoughts like that as a player, where you go from the Fiesta Bowl to the Fenway Bowl. Well, it's funny. I, I, I mentioned it before. It was kind of similar to my freshman bowl game when we played the Aloha Bowl. We had a really good team, and we had a chance to – you know, we had a tough uh, loss to West Virginia at the end of our season, and we got to put in the Aloha Bowl in Hawaii. And a little disappointed because it was a good team, and we were facing a Kansas State team that was quite similar to SMU in this record. I think they only had one or two losses on the year. They felt that they should be in a, a higher marquee bowl game, and they felt it was kind of a slap in the face to play us in uh, Hawaii. And then we had probably the most dominant defensive performance I have ever seen, and I don't think I've yet to see since. Maybe the Notre Dame-Fenway game at uh, 15 where that BC defense had six turnovers, but they lost the game. But uh, that was a game where Chad May was a highly regarded quarterback going into that game, and his draft stock fell immensely after that because Mike Mamula, Stephen Boyd, and crew, uh, they had a little different plans for what was going to happen. It wasn't just going to be a cakewalk, and I don't think 
Kansas State passed the 50-yard line until the fourth quarter. So it was a thorough beating, um, as we'd say, and from head to toe. And it was just a great performance by the Bucks, you know, our defense. We were just, that, that was just impressive to watch. Glad I wasn't playing against it, but impressive to watch. <laughs> and that's the thing with bowl games. You bring up a good point. There's always one team that really wants to be there and one who does it. So you really got to throw it out the window. You how, how By the way, how was Hawaii going to bowl game? Yeah, it was fun. It was like that first time I had, you know, first time I'd ever been to Hawaii. It was quite an experience. You get the whole whole festivities, hanging out in the Waikiki Beach, staying downtown, and you're in paradise, right? Spending Christmas. We, and the game was on Christmas Day. So, you know, first time I'd not been home for Christmas with my family, but it was awesome. Uh, it was just a really cool experience. The toughest part was just the flight out there. I think that was... <laughs> That was a long flight when you're sitting in between some of the big guys as a freshman at that time. It's not like I had posh seating, so <laughs> sitting between some big rigs. But it was a good time. I think, you know, there was disappointment that we didn't make a bigger game, but, you know, the guys enjoyed it. They, they had a great time out there and came to play and just, you know, really did well. It was a great defensive game. I think offensively we probably have some, um, you know, disappointments as to plays left on the field there, but, uh, you know, it was a good win. It was a good win. It was great to win that way. And just, you know, the flight back and all that was just a, it was just a great time. It was a great experience. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's the power of the bowl games that you can do that. Um, what do you think about your general take of playing at uh, Fenway, playing on a baseball field with the bowl games? Uh, I know BC's had some experience playing the pinstripe bowl. Uh, what's your whole vibe on that? Well, I mean, it's a unique experience because you got both teams on the same sideline. Uh, BC's played there before, like I mentioned, the Notre Dame game. Uh, it, it was back in 2015. I mean, it's cool. It's a nostalgic place. Uh, you know, a lot of you know some of the local kids. They've probably gone there with their with their parents watching the Red Sox play to be able to play in an iconic stadium like Fenway. It's pretty cool, right? It's, it's a really cool experience to to go out there and uh, you know where, where legends have been made, where amazing things have happened. If you just look to you know in the recent years where the Red Sox runs and winning the World Series the three World Series that they won. Like, that's that's a pretty special thing, right, to be there, look around, see the green monster as you're playing. And, it, you know, it's pretty awesome. And I think that they're going to be excited for that. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's a great time for the younger guys who have, you know, probably had 15, you know, they get 15 extra practices where they're able to really improve and start making that jump for next year to be contributing factors. Guys that had started to contribute at the end of the year just get some of that confidence. Uh, with additional practice to go into this game and really be, you know, start to be those difference makers for the next year on offensive defense. I think that's pretty um, – I think a lot of guys are going to be excited for that. It's an easy commute. Uh, I'm sure they probably would have liked to go somewhere different and warm, but in the end it's still it's still a pretty special place that if, you, if you've never been from there to play in a, you know, such a stage like that, it's going to be pretty awesome for them. And then also, too, from a BC perspective, the coaching staff, uh, X and O's-wise, what do you think the game plan is for Boston College? What should fans be watching? Yeah, I think, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier with just being able to, to run the football. you got, you know, the, the, the offensive line has been such a staple for them this year. Be able to go out and, and really dominate there and control the line of scrimmage with the running game. Kai Robichaud, you know, hopefully he's had a chance to get get healthy. You know, a lot of injuries to end the year. Uh, and then hopefully Thomas Castellanos in the passing game can step up and make some big plays, right? 
they can be explosive in that team that you saw versus Georgia Tech where they were able to run the football, able to throw the football. That's, you know, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what you can see this team becoming next year because the ability to do both on their terms is, is a very unique quality. And I really am excited to see what BCS in store for SMU, but defensively it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, these guys are, these guys are high powered offense. Like I said, averaging over 40 points a game. I believe Jennings is going to be the new quarterback that's, that's coming in for them. He played a little against Tulane, but they're, they're still going to be able to, to move the football. They're going to have some, you know, very talented athletes and, you know, he's going to play them again next year in Dallas as they become conference members to the ACC. So it's kind of like a prelude to next year. Yeah, that is a very fascinating aspect of this as well, uh, too. What do you think the, the fan, the crowd will be like at Fenway? It's 11 a.m. kickoff. What do you think the whole vibe will be there? Hopefully it's some warm weather. Uh, for me, yeah. I mean, I think I think BC would probably prefer some cold weather. but <laughs> The fans uh, want warm weather, know. too. I don't know. It's an 11 o'clock game. Do you get some people that after the holidays looking for something to do in the city during the day to, to kind of come by? Everyone's kind of in that limbo between Christmas and New Year's who are looking for things to do, bring the family down and go check out the local team play. I don't know how SMU is going to travel. It does help. Um, I think that it's on the 28th, so people can travel maybe on the 26th and 27th to come into Boston. Don't discount the fact that, you know, the Dallas people or the SMU uh, crowd, uh, the draw of the city of Boston. Like, think about that, like the opportunity to come see one of the most historical cities in the in the country uh, to come visit and to see so much uh, amazing things that Boston has to offer. That's a draw. I mean, you see it even with the ACC teams. Like, they they travel well to come to Boston because they don't have cities like that in, in most of the ACC um, schools and, and places. So, um, Boston has a lot to offer, and there's a lot to do in Boston. So, you know, you just don't know. I don't, I don't know what the the sales have been like for that but you know it's definitely a draw and if they want to come it's a great way to kind of throw a little vacation in between the holidays for for people that aren't from the area yeah i remember clemson fans to your point always saying boston was one of their favorite spots to visit uh, for football games uh, on the road from right. their perspective it may not be as rowdy because it's an 11 o'clock game so people are gonna have to you know if they're gonna get rowdy they're gonna have to start their day drinking pretty early but you know you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning, Mike, so that's probably what's going to have to happen for that crowd to be a little bit rowdy. <laughs> and I know there's a BC event at 8 a.m. as well. It starts right near Fenway. I, forget, I should know the name of the restaurant, but there is a BC yeah, alumni event. Go. What's that? and Bloody Marys for the alum. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, okay, uh, Scott, why have you? you? want to get your thoughts on BC recruiting. It was signing day this past week. Obviously, with the transfer portal, not as big a deal as it used to be. But just your whole vibe on the BC recruiting situation. Well, BC brings in, I think, 12, uh, 12 players when all said and done with a bunch of different positions. I think that it's... You know, some good depth in the class, get some, some local kids that have come in and, uh, you know, some projects and athletes. The game has changed so much because of the transfer portal. Patience to have guys come in and develop instead of having guys come in that can play has really changed the game. And the opportunity to get quality players that have matured, grown up, played, played a lot of football that want to come on a bigger stage is enticing. Right for BC, BC's never going to be you know 
the massive transfer portal place like a Colorado or some of the other places where they can get anybody in. And they have to be selective in what they get in. But there's a lot of quality players that are in the portal that BC has got. And I believe it's eight to ten guys that they're, they're bringing in in various positions that I'm excited to see what they can do on a bigger stage. And that, I think that really weighs in a lot to it. And you can't get caught up in the rankings of classes anymore because this is a small class. It's going to not be a higher ranked uh, squad. I think I think they're last in ACC in, in that. But in the end, it, it all depends on just what you're getting from the athletes. Because if you look back now, you would put Thomas Castellanos and Kai Robichaux in the recruiting class from last year, and that would probably bump their rank up to the top of the ACC, you know, because of those transfer guys and, and the amount of off, um, offense and productivity they brought. So. Even Kyle Hergel and Logan uh, Logan Taylor, like those four guys that were instrumental in the success and turnaround of that offense, that you wouldn't consider recruits or, or anything from last year. But man, they they helped solidify that offense and turned it into an explosive group. Where uh, the year before it was it was lacking. And you're right. I think there's a, a transfer portal niche for Boston College where they can get like an Ohio State commit or Michigan. Or even you know the SEC school, a kid who might come in his freshman year, but then doesn't play. You know, four star, three star, maybe uh, even a five star. Who knows? And then they want to play immediately. They see Boston College and they can fill that void. That's where BC can step in, transfer. Right, and it's kind of natural human instinct, right? When you're a high school kid, um, you want to play Division One college football, right? So you you, have, you want to go in the place that you've dreamed of doing it. Probably their entire life that they've been playing football, they dreamed of playing Division One college football. And they always want to go to that high-profile school because they see them on TV or they see the crowds, and then they they go there and they maybe find out that it's not what they thought it would be, or it's not they're not getting the opportunity that they thought that they were going to get. So now they get to go to a place to come to a place like Boston College, that Power Five conference that plays on TV all the time, that plays great competition, and they're going to get a chance to play instead of just being a bystander watching some other guys play that they may feel that they're better than, but they may have. They may have been higher-rated recruits. Those guys are getting the chance, and they're not. So they're like, hey, I want to prove some people wrong. I want to maybe, if they're local guys, want to come back home so my family can see. I thought that it was going to be different than what it was, and it's not. So they get an opportunity to come and play and and play great football in a great conference, and, and they, they get an opportunity to kind of make their own mark. And it, it's just so different because, you know, back in the day when you're recruiting guys and you're in the mix and you're asking, like, where where do we stand? Are we, are we in the final five? Are we in the final ten? And if you didn't make that cut, most coaches would cut bait and they'd be, you know, they'd be pretty hurt because they're competitive guys. They're pissed that they lose out on a guy and they may be like, ah, you're never going to play there anyways. You're making a huge mistake. And you kind of burn that bridge where you can't do that nowadays, right? Cause you just never know. Kid may say no going in as a freshman – but a year or two years down the line, they may be like, "Hey, you know, we need a. We're looking for a place to play, and you guys, you guys always treated me with respect, and you always said nice things about me. So, I'm going to give Boston College a look. So, it's a it's a different it's a different recruiting tactic. So, um, it's kudos to you know the BC staff for for staying in the mix with these guys and maintaining good relationships and leaving a great impression throughout the recruiting process. Because you know when you're 17, 18 years old, you you're probably not as mature as you are at 20 or 21, and you, you realize some things. And once you come to, to those realizations, you, you 
kind of respect them for their honesty and for them, you know, always treating you with respect. And that goes a long way the, the second time you're going through it. And Scott, you're you're involved heavily with the NIL fund at Boston College, Friends of the Heights. Just kind of give the listeners an update how that's going and how it's working with the players, and uh, just kind of give us an overview how that's all playing out. It's a very fascinating world of a new world of college athletics. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm, based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Yeah, and we want to be competitive in this. We need the support for the Boston College alums. We need, uh, you know, we have a drive going on right now that's some success, but we, we need a lot more. We want to be a competitive football team, which we can be. Uh, we, we are going to have to play in this NIL space. People may not like it. They may think it's, it, you know, it's detracting from amateur sports, but hey, that's the price of admission. It was the price, you know, people question the ACC move, and if BC didn't make that move, they'd be where UConn is right now, or they'd be in, in fighting for relevancy. So, you have to make moves based on football. You have to be competitive. Uh, you have to pay. You have to pay the price to, to be competitive, and you just can't sit back and hope things are going to go back to the way they were before. It's just not, just not the way it's going to happen. And we need every bit of support we get from the alums, whether it's financially or even through word of mouth, as to to encourage people to, to contribute to Friends of the Heights to really help our programs, not just football but all our other sports. Uh, it, it's needed. It's what college athletics has come to. These guys and gals deserve to get paid for that. And but we need we need BC to do that. And we can. We have the firepower. We have the bank the bankroll. We have successful alums that have done great things after their time at BC, and would love to see them get involved in this and really step up um, to support this NIL initiative. Because if we want to stay on the stage um, of high high caliber athletics. We need to compete in this space, and we can. We don't need to put, you know, twenty million dollars in it like Ohio State or Texas A&M does. So, you know, we do need. We can be very successful with ten million dollars of giving to all our athletes and bringing in the type of quality uh, people and players that that love Boston College, love the degree from Boston College, love what it means, love the connections they get when they're done playing whatever sport that they choose to play use that BC connection to really establish them for the rest of their life and get them on the right path for a successful journey once they're done playing. But I, I can't harp on this enough that we need support. We want support. There's so many people that can support this effort, and it's easy to complain and sit about what we don't have and what we haven't done. But this is a real opportunity that goes straight to the athlete to get um, to pay these athletes, to bring athletes that want to be Boston College athletes onto campus, keep them onto campus, have them graduate from a school that we care deeply about. Um, I, I really would love to just see more people step up. Very successful um, BC alums could really make a difference um, in this um, in this effort. John Fish has been great. He's been kind of our uh, you know highlights owner and, and really big supporter for this. Love to see some other people really get involved with this because it can really make a difference. And when you see this, look what happened with TCU last year. 
they get in, they get into the Final Four, make the championship game, the support and the excitement around that program has you know, brought up admissions, raised the profile of that school. BC can do that. If BC can be a high-profile school, if we can do some serious, um, some serious damage in, in, in basketball and football and hockey and women's lacrosse and so on, if we really step up and start supporting our athletes, which I can't encourage enough. Well said, Scott. I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but can you give the fans an update, like financially, what is our bankroll right now for Boston College, and um, how many per players do you think are actually getting NIL money on the football team, if you had to break it down? Uh, nice try. It's not <laughs> enough. We need more. Um, we're trying to help as many athletes as we can that want, to, that want to be Boston College athletes, that want to stay here and graduate from the school. We're trying to help as many as we can across all sports. This is just a football effort. Uh, but we, we need we need more. We need is, is, is whatever people can give, fifty dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Whatever people can give, I'm telling you, it, it matters. It makes a difference. It's the difference between keeping a player or losing a player that really can be a difference maker uh, for the program. And, uh, and and it's never enough. We, we can never have enough in this because uh, it's just something that the the more we get. The, the, the more competitive we will be, and the more competitive we will be, we'll raise the profile of the school, we'll raise our ability to compete on a high level and compete for national and league championships. You know, we can do this. We can do it. We've got the number one hockey team in the country. Uh, that We've got seven guys that are going to be playing in the World Junior Tournament representing the United States of America that are Boston College kids that want to be here and are going to be representing our country if we can do this for hockey and continue that for hockey, we can do it for basketball. We can do it for women's lacrosse. We can do it for women's basketball. We can do it for football. But it's going to take effort. It's going to take time, and it's going to take money. Um, and we need it. So just, you know, we got to be proud of what we got right now, but it, it, we can't be satisfied. If we're, if, if we're satisfied with where we're at right now, then that's, we're not living up the, to the ever-excel motto that, that our school is. So, um you know, I know we got a lot going on. Everyone's got a ton. But um, I'm telling you that this is something that if we put our minds to it and our alums step up and put, you know, their, their wallets behind this initiative, you will be amazed at what you see, what we can do um, athletically at this school. Okay. And, Scott, last question. And I'll just tell them where people can donate. Friends of the Heights, where they, the website, and how it all works logistically. Right, friendsoftheheights.com. There's many different levels, many different uh, abilities to contribute. Uh, get some swag, too. Wear it with pride. Uh, friendsoftheheights.com. You can see the, the website has a lot going on. We're going to be doing some events um, with, with some alums coming forward that we're looking to at the beginning of the year. Some, uh, some opportunity to meet some, some great famous BC alums in, a, in, a, in an effort that's going to help our NIL cause. Uh, I think that's going to be the big step that we're looking forward to going in next year. There's been some events. You can see our athletes in the community. Look at what they've done so far this holiday season with the Green Boston, Boston Food Bank delivering food to, to families, delivering toys to families. You're seeing our athletes as members of the community, which is what we're about. It's not just uh, it's not just the, the pay to play thing. It's our athletes are contributing to, to the community and really making an impact and changing people's lives. Um, and that's something that really goes along 
um, with our efforts as well to be active in that community and really make a difference. Last question for me. Encourage people that uh, enough to support Friends of the Heights. Friends of the Heights dot com. You'll see the campaigns on Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, there's plenty of places. Facebook. We're all over the place. And if there's any questions. Find me on social media. I'm happy to talk about it. I am at uh, our alums' second call to try and uh, to, to get them to contribute and answer any questions they may have. Yeah, no, you definitely are, Scott. No question about it. Um, before I get last question, before we sign off, Florida, I got to ask your opinion. Florida State, uh, you know, wants to leave the ACC now, threatening to leave. What's your whole take, and how do you think it affects Boston College, the ACC perspective? I mean – thing that's been going on for the last nine months the the fact of the matter is they're they're not going to be able to leave at this point in time it's not about the conference right it's about uh, the media rights that come with it grant of rights yeah yeah the grant of rights is that that's the that's the deal killer for them and no other conference is going to step up and pay that if they did it would you know be silly especially as you're going to the 12 team playoff next year, right? Like, what's the point of, of leaving? And Florida State deserves to be in the Final Four. I, I, I want to stress that. They deserve it. As a team, just because they lose their quarterback, I felt it was very disrespectful for the committee to not look at Florida State as a whole. Just because it wasn't as pretty the last couple games without Jordan Travis, uh, it detracts the entire body of work in which Florida State had. But the issue isn't the ACC. It's the bowl committee. The bowl committee is the one that screwed them. The ACC didn't screw them. If they were in, you know, the Big 12 or the Pac-12 and, and this happened, they still wouldn't be in it. So their blame on the ACC is wrong. Their blame should be at the bowl committee and the disrespect shown to them by the committee thinking that Jordan Travis is the only reason that Florida State was undefeated because it's not. There are five to six, you know, NFL draft picks on that team. I think there's two to three that are going to be first-rounders in Steve Coleman and Jared Burst. So I think that the thing that bums me out the most is that the ACC is getting a flat win, and that's their, their anger should be at the bowl committee. And the, the anger, to, if you want to even say ESPN and everybody else that, warranted that wanted the SEC in there because of the money that the SEC, uh, they have invested in that. Because once you see saw Texas get in, you knew that Florida State was going to get screwed because you knew Alabama had to get in. And there was no way that um, – there was no way that – Florida State was going to get in after they saw that Texas get in because there's no way they're going to let Alabama in without letting Texas in because Texas beat them at home earlier in the season. But they disrespected Florida State. It's a fact. Um, and you think about it that if Georgia actually plays a better game and, and wins that game, and I think if Georgia's undefeated, Florida State makes it, and all the undefeated teams make it, and everything's easy. But, you know, TV, ESPN, the full committee felt and they needed to have the SEC based on track records the years past and based on the money that's invested in them. And you can people can disagree as much as they want and say Florida State would be a two or three touchdown underdog to whomever they played fine. But the fact of the matter is you've got to still play the games. Their body of work deserves to be there. Um, and just because
because they felt that they had to have the SEC champion in there. Um, I felt that it was quite disrespectful to Florida State and, and everything that they did this year because they took on all comers and they beat them. Um, you don't get extra credit for how much you beat them by, but you, you get you get credit for, for every game on your schedule. The fact that they dismissed them so easily as the excuse of just losing uh, their quarterback, I, I feel is a disservice to them. I feel it's a disservice to every team on their schedule. I feel it's a disservice to the Just going to be interesting, though, looking ahead, though, beyond this year. Uh, with Florida State, you know, publicly saying they want to leave, and the Grant Wright's holding them in the ACC. How the next couple of years will really um, shake out? Uh, you know, you have your, you, you know, a member doesn't want to be a part of your conference, so I, I don't know how it's going to play out. But that, you know, that's why the ACC adds Stanford, adds Cal, adds SMU. Their strength in numbers. The Big Twelve did the same thing um, when they lost Texas and Oklahoma. The more numbers that you have. There's a market. Um, who knows how much it is? Is it as much as the SEC and the Big Ten has on TV wise? Who knows? But there is a market for uh, other conferences as well and, and TV deals. So, and each year that it gets closer to the end of that deal, the, the lower the price tag gets. Uh, you're also going to see the Big Ten and the SEC of TV deals that come up in the next couple of years and how much those um, do they go up? Because that's all they've been doing is going up the last couple of years. But take a look around and you see, even in professional sports, I think a lot of people were surprised that some of the TV deals that came up, that they didn't get the amount that they expected. I know the NBA expected a bigger deal than, than what they got. I think uh, maybe it was NASCAR or some others expected bigger numbers and they didn't get them. So at some point, um, are people willing to, to put that money in? And if they're not and, and the price tag doesn't go up for these TV deals and it becomes a hyper-regionalized sport, you're not going to have the national draw and people and places aren't going to be willing to pay those big-ticket numbers uh, to have the rights for those deals. So it, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot that's going to happen. Money talks throughout all of this. Um, college football probably is the second biggest generating <laughs> Uh, I mean, I want to say it's, it's the NFL's king, right? The NFL keeps going up. Uh, NBA is, you see what it is with that. But, um, no, it's still pretty popular. But college football is, is up there, and there's a lot of revenue there, but does it continue to go up in, in perpetuity? I don't know. But it's a, it's a question that needs to get at, uh, to be taken into account. The, the grant of rights is, is something that, that's really going to hurt Florida State, but who knows? Like, People can get creative. Maybe people come up and, you know, raise the money for them to come out. I don't know. As of right now, it's a big hindrance. I know legally they, everyone's looked over it either way, and there, there hasn't seemed to have found a solution for it. But I, I think their frustration is they're just trying to stare in scorched earth, earth right now because they've been, um, you know, they've been wronged, and they want, they want people to pay. And now their, their anger and venting has gone towards the, uh, the ACC when, I don't really think that that's the case. I don't think if, um, you know, like I mentioned, if Jordan Travis is healthy, Florida State's playing in, in the Final Four, and they they got a chance to, you know, to, to win the national championship. And that has nothing to do with the ACC. It's everything to do um, with the player and the narrative of that. So, Well said, Scott. Love your passion, man. All right, last question. Uh, Fenway Bowl, Wasabi Fenway Bowl, what's your game plan? 11 a.m. kickoff. What? How's it going to be shaken out for you for a local bowl game? 
Yeah, that's a you know really good question. I think I got to sign up for my media credentials um, for that to get there. But eleven o'clock kick, you probably got to get there early to make sure everything's set up, bundled up, do some pregame for that. Uh, it's you know, there's a couple events going around uh, Fenway. That's the great thing is there's a bunch of you know different places that people can go to before. So you know the the tailgating scene instead of having to bring everything, they just need to park. And come, so it's very conducive towards people having a good time. So y'all probably walk around the outside and, and see some alums. Hopefully, shake some hands. Hopefully, see some potential donors that want to give to friends of the height. There you go. Athletic program, but that's that's a lot of what I do pregame. You try to get there early and meet as many people as you can, and really um, bang the drum for Boston College and, and athletics and what we're doing right now. That's going to be a, a big thing of, of what I'll be doing pregame all right scott we look forward to it as always we thank you so much for coming on this year really appreciate it and we'll be listening to you on wednesday i appreciate it thanks a lot mike and have a merry christmas to your family and uh and everyone and hopefully uh hopefully santa's nice to you you too scott sounds good thank you Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.